Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would carry me in the preaching of your word. That you would hold me by your mighty hand. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of your word. That you would take glory for yourself in it. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In your name. Amen. Well, we've made it to verses 16 through 21 of Luke chapter 8. It's only been a little under two years. We're finally up to Luke chapter 8. Now, of course, we've taken a lot of breaks. So... I'm going to go ahead and read the passage for us. It might be a little bit less organized today than normal as I'm going to attempt to be a little more free from my notes. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see it. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. A few weeks ago we went through the parable of the sower. And we saw in that parable... Four typical responses to the gospel. The sower was one who brings the word of God, scattering the word of God as it were, as it were, as if it were seed. The types of soil are those who hear the word of God and how they respond to the word of God. The hard soil rejected God straight out. The rocky soil embraced, but in time of testing fell away. The weedy soil embraces, but after, after a time is choked out by the cares and desires of the world. The good soil received the Word of God in a good and honest heart and produced fruit with patience. And one of the things that we've begun to see as we've been looking through Luke's Gospel is this pattern of concern. Concern that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ do not follow the error of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were, they were certain that they were in right relationship with God. And thus when the gospel of when the gospel presentation of repent and be made with made right with God through Jesus Christ was offered, it fell on 
deaf ears. This morning as we look at verses 16 through 21, we'll be doing so in light of that context. You know, often I've heard this passage preached sort of separated from that context. And while some have done an amazingly good job even isolating this passage from the context, we get a much broader picture, a much clearer picture when we keep the Scripture in in its context. And when we follow that idea that the original author had for his original hearers. The key word of our passage this morning is that word hear. It's sort of a verb, to hear or hearing. And it's more than just hearing with the ears. It's talking about hearing with understanding, but it's even more than that. It's more than just hearing with understanding in the terms of mental comprehension. It's hearing which understands that, hey, this is the Word of God. And so when we hear it, we need to respond in, in such a way that, that reflects that because it's demanding obedience. So it's hearing that not only understands the Word of God, it's hearing that believes and obeys the Word of God. And so before we go to the text, what I want to do is I want to take us back to verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus is going to explain to the disciples the reason for giving parables. He says this, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that, and he quotes Isaiah, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Now when I preached on the parable of the sower, I made the comment that Jesus preached in hard to understand parables as a judgment upon the disbelief of the Jews. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that while Jesus does explain this particular parable, He doesn't explain all parables to the disciples, does He? And so it's not just the fact that He taught in parables that made it hard or impossible for some to understand. There was something more. Something more. And and we get a clue to that when He says, when He yells out, those who have ears to hear... Let them hear. You know, one of the things I find when I'm speaking with unbelievers, it's not so much that they don't understand the words that I'm saying, it's that they're taking the truth that they're receiving and suppressing it in unrighteousness. It's not that they don't understand, it's that they don't want to receive the Word of God. And so that something else Something else that was hindering the scribes and the Pharisees from being able to understand what was communicated in the parable. Now we know that they understood some of the parables really clear. Why? Because immediately afterwards they pick up stones to stone Him. They understood that He was saying, I'm God. I'm the only way. You must come to God through Me. You must be reconciled to God through Me. And it caused them to want to gnash their teeth cause them to want to murder their Messiah. So what is this something else? The Bible tells us that this something else is the nature that we've inherited from Adam. 
the nature that we've inherited from Adam. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that this nature is spiritually dead. In Romans chapter 3, he explains that because of this spiritually dead nature, no one, not even one, seeks after God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he explains to us that this, because of this dead nature, the natural man is not able to understand the things of the Spirit of God. So I would assert to you that this something else is, is the lack of regeneration. The lack of being born again. When Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, He's talking about those who have been born again. To those who have been born again, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Because it's the one who's born again whose who's dead nature has been replaced with a living nature. The one who's born again is enabled by the Spirit of God to hear to understand, to believe, and obey the Word of God. Likewise, when Jesus says, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear, He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and others like them. Those who had made it their religious practice to study and know the words of God. Yet for all their human effort, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Like the unbelievers, they could hear and understand the message, but they didn't want it. They rejected it. They had ears, but they could not hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. This is what Jesus meant when He was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And He said, unless one is born again... He can't see or enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's go to the text. Luke chapter 8, verse 16. Keep in your mind the context. Jesus has just given this parable of the sower. He's explained the reason for giving parables. And, 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 and He's even explained the meaning of the parable. So what I would assert is that what we've got is we've got a parenthesis from verse 10, which I just read, where he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not hear, or seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. Then the parentheses, within the parentheses, is the explanation of the parable, and now Jesus picks it right back up. So imagine that he's just finished saying, so the seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus begins with that simple analogy. Lights aren't lit lit to be hidden. Rather, they're, they're lit to make it possible to see. Jesus is talking about the Word of God. He's talking about primarily the Gospel. 
The Word of God wasn't given to stop ears from hearing. It wasn't given to stop eyes from seeing. But the Word of God not only illuminates the way for those eyes that can see, it also exposes the hypocrisy of blind eyes which claim to see but do not. those who claim to see but in reality are dead and blind do you remember how in an earlier chapter of Luke Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind guides they claim to be able to lead the way to the path of God but upon testing their fruit it became evident that they were clueless When Jesus shined the light of truth upon them, their hypocrisy was made manifest. And sadly, rather than heading for God, they were leading those who followed. Jesus said into a pit, proving that not only were they blind, but those who followed them were blind as well. Notice the declaration of verse 17. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. This is both a positive affirmation and a negative warning. Not only does light remove darkness and reveal the way that we might not stumble on the path, but it also removes the shadows causing the roaches and rats to scurry. In Acts 17, we read about the Berean Jews who were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What were they doing? They were using the Word of God as a light by which to expose and see whether or not Paul and Silas were Blind guides are true guides. And as a result, we're told that many of them believed. The majority opinion of modern evangelicalism is that it is mean and unloving to shine the light of God's Word on those who claim to be guides. The Bible says it's noble. It's noble to examine my teaching by God's Word. And if I'm a true teacher, then I'm going to want to have my teaching exposed. If I'm a false teacher, I'm going to want to guard myself from that. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Isn't it funny how whenever you challenge the TV preachers, the things that people start pulling out is you better not touch God's anointed. You see, that's the only defense that these people have so that they can remain hidden in the darkness lest they be exposed as blind guides. 
The last thing I'd like you to notice about verse 17 is that sense of future certainty. That sense of future certainty. On the one hand, the passage is telling us that when we expose things to the light of God's Word, we're using the Word of God in the way in which it was intended to be used. As a, as a light shining the way. It's not supposed to be hidden under a bed. It's not supposed to be hidden under a jar. It's supposed to be out in the open, exposing the darkness, making it possible to see. On the other hand, the sense of future certainty in verse 17 shows us that there is a day in which all darkness will be exposed to the light of God's Word. A day in which all the secrets of men's hearts will be known. A day in which there will be no more pretending. No more pretenders. A day in which blind guides, as well as true guides, will be brought into the light that their deeds may be exposed. And it's based upon this certain future judgment that Jesus gives the following warning in verse 18. Take care how you hear. Take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. The first thing I'd like you to notice is that word, then. That little word, then. Take care, then, how you hear. The word, then, lets us know that he's saying this on account of what he's already said. It's on account of the coming judgment in which all things will be exposed to the light of God's Word. So we could read the clause like this. Be of the utmost care on account of the coming judgment how you hear. The idea of how one hears is related back to the parable of the four soils. Do you hear and reject immediately like the hard soil? Do you hear with joy but have no root and in time of testing fall away? Do you hear like the lukewarm Christian who's neither hot nor cold like the weedy soil is choked out by the cares and love of this world? Or do you hear and hold fast to God's Word in an honest and good heart bearing fruit with patience? The one who holds fast to God's Word in an honest and true heart and bears fruit with patience, this is the one who has, and to him more will be given. The warning of verse 18 is that there will be those who think that they have, but in reality they have not. And even what they think that they have will be taken away from them. And so part of this warning to take care how you hear is to take care that you're not following in the error of the Pharisees being certain of your salvation. 
I was counseling a young man this week and the first thing that I said to him after he told me some of the struggles and things that he was going through is, son, you may not be a Christian. Oh my goodness, why would you say such a thing? Now I told him that you may be a Christian. I'm not trying to tell you that you're not a Christian. But I'm telling you that you need to have that on the table. You need to be willing to have that on the table. That's what the Bible means when it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. The plea of Scripture is that we do not become comfortable. Paul likens the Christian life to running a race. And yet I'm afraid that so many in American Christianity end up being weedy soil, thinking that they're good soil, preparing to run a race, having never counted the cost, and they run and they run and they grow tired and they fall away. That's true. The evidence that you've been born again, the evidence that you are good soil, is that tenacious clutching on to the foot of Jesus. I can't save myself. Save me, Jesus. And it's a surety. Those who are trying in their own strength to save themselves will fall away. The cares of this world will choke them out. Sadly, like those who cry out to the Lord on that day, Lord, Lord, these like the Pharisees, they're certain that they know God when in reality they don't. So I want to close this morning by looking at the last three verses, verses 19 through 21 of Luke chapter 8. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he said to them, or answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Now most of what I've just explained to you, that is what that means, hearing the Word of God and doing it. And one of the things that, that, that strikes me from immediately when I get here is the fact that in Matthew's Gospel and in Mark's Gospel, this account of Jesus' mother and brothers comes before the parable of the soil. Yet here, Luke intentionally places it after. Why? Because of that last sentence. Because Luke is wanting to give us an illustration that we can hold on to immediately to help get this in our minds. Jesus is identifying those who are good soil. He's identifying those who hear with care. And He's calling them His most intimate family members. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. I mean, immediately what jumps into our mind is passages like James. Don't be mere hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. 
distinction that Jesus is making is very clear. Those who are not merely hearers, but are doers. Or as I said before, those who not just understand the Word of God, but obey the Word of God. Those are the ones that are good soil. I'm going to close this morning with a long quote from J.C. Ryle. This is what J.C. Ryle writes concerning this section. It's both challenging and encouraging. The man who hears the Word of God and does it is the true Christian. He hears the call of God to repent and be converted and he obeys it. He ceases to do evil and learns to do well. He puts off the old man and puts on the new. He hears the call of God to believe on Jesus Christ for justification and he obeys it. He forsakes his own righteousness and confesses his need of a Savior. He receives Christ as crucified as his only hope and counts all things lost for the sake of the knowledge of him. He hears the call of God to be holy and he obeys it. He strives to mortify the deeds of his body and to walk after the Spirit. He labors to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets him. This is true, vital Christianity. All men and women who desire, or excuse me, who are of this character are true Christians. Now I'm thankful that he doesn't leave it there. He goes on. Now the troubles of all who hear the Word of God and do it are neither few nor small. The world, the flesh, and the devil continually vex them. They often groan being burdened. They often find the cross heavy and the way to heaven rough and narrow. They often feel disposed to cry with St. Paul, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Let all such take comfort in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which are now considered. Let them remember that the Son of God Himself regards them as His own near relations. Let them not heed the laughter, the mockery, the persecution of this world. The women, the woman of whom Christ says, she is my mother. And the man of whom Christ says, he is my brother, have no cause to be ashamed. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank You for not only saving us and giving us Your Word, but also giving us those warnings in Scripture that we might not grow content, that we might not grow certain in our own strength, 
but that we would be continually brought to a place of greater dependence upon You for our salvation. That we would know for certain that we are saved because of the fact that we have no confidence in ourselves. That we have placed all our confidence in You. And when trial comes, we're able to stand against it. Why? Because we're not standing alone. We're standing with You. And when the cares of this world come and creep in and begin to, to, to beset us and, 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 and take our eyes off of You, we know that You are not a derelict Father, but that Your Holy Spirit will continually correct us and reprove us through Your Word, bringing us back to that place of repentance that we might that we might walk as it were, bearing fruit with patience. Father, I pray that You would use this Word to encourage us to use Your Word as a light to shine upon those who would be our guides. That we might use this passage to shine the light of Your Word on our own lives. And that we might be encouraged in doing so, finding that we do have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that Your Word would be used by us and for us to give eyes to those who are blind and ears to those who are deaf. We pray these things in Your most holy name, knowing that You are able to do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves, and that more than we could hope or imagine. In Your name, Amen.